0: The founders of the mobile game developer, Rovio, started their company after winning a mobile game competition. In the four or five years that followed, they produced 51 mobile games, the majority of which you've likely never heard of. But that 50 second title, well, that's what we're here to talk about. Today we're going to tell you the history of Angry Birds. Its story includes looking at the digital subculture known as the demo scene and the early history of its development studio, Rovio. After looking at the conception of Angry Birds itself, we'll also explore how the franchise has grown since its inception. So stick around and join us in an episode for the birds on yet another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 172nd episode of our video game history podcast, a trip down memory card lane. Each week, we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, console, a person, a technology. As long as I find some reason to tie it to this week, I'm going to roll with it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, 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 we're all going to learn about Angry Birds, which was originally released for the Memo, Memo, and iOS devices, the App Store, if you will, in December of 2009. I'm David Cassen, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host who recently visited Piggy Island and met the king pig. He's my brother, Rob Cass and Rob. What's the king like?
1: Well, you don't get a lot of food in his presence. He's kind of a pig.
0: He's a huge pig.
1: That, 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 that was the joke, Dave.
0: I got it. Just going to let that one sit for a moment in awkwardness.
1: Yeah, that that I am.
0: <laughs> what what are you been playing?
1: Well, Dave, this week has seen some RuneScape. Some Valheim. And I think that's it. Yeah, it's 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 been a pretty light week. How about yourself?
0: Yeah, it's been a light week for me, too. I think I played Valheim. I think I played. I started playing Hi-Fi Rush again. I picked it back up and played a chapter or two of it. And I think that's it. It has not been a big video game week for me either. But it do be like that sometimes because I have been hard at work putting together content for next year and making some changes, proposed changes. I haven't decided if I'm going to do it, but I'm considering changing. The the website, some of the presentation of the website. So I've been hard at work. So. My free time is like a lot. My free time is so cool, ain't it? So much fun, Dave. But hey, it could always be worse. I it's true. I could not be doing this every week and I enjoy doing this. So exactly. And, uh,
1: you know, now we get to talk about. Angry Birds.
0: Yeah, I want to go back. I want to go back to my childhood. I want to go back really far. Because, you know, in the early 80s, hackers were kind of a thing.
1: Computer hackers. is that what you wanted to to be? You wanted to be a computer hacker?
0: Oh, I mean, everyone, every kid who first got into computers wants to be a computer hacker. Thinking that they can, like, take down the bullies and, and, like, get into places you're not supposed to be in, you know? Hackers weren't a thing in the way that Hollywood portrays hacking. You know, like it's some exciting game where people compete to see who can code faster, you know, and they hop from node to node to node around the world playing a game of chase or tag or what, what, if you will, as if that's what hackers do. Now, hacking isn't like that, you know, but hacking was a thing in the sense that, as soon as software publishers decided to place copy protection under their games, there were people that were just lined up to remove it. And these people kind of in the same way that like a graffiti artist would tag their own artwork. So too would the software crackers. They too would tag their own artwork. And I remember these days very vividly, you know, as a kid who was really into computers, you know, in the early to mid nineties, when the internet was dial up and just becoming a thing, I wanted to be part of that culture. And, and that included getting your hands on to everything you could and sticking your nose everywhere that it didn't belong. And it wasn't hard to trip on these, groups of software piraters or hackers or crackers or whatever you want to put it back in the day and you know i I was fascinated with it it was you click on these cracks or you know programs that would would be able to unlock this game whether or not you had the game that wasn't always the case for me but like You would click on this program and then a screen would pop up and it would be like loud, gaudy chip tunes and 3D animations, kind of like the old. uh, I don't know if anyone remembers screensavers when they were a thing. Are screensavers even still a thing?
1: Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah.
0: But there was a time when screensavers were like everyone had to get a screensaver, you know, so you'd have all these really cool 3D animations that would play with these 3D chip tunes and they evolved over time. You know, in the beginning, they were just text based with music. And then as time and computers got better, they were pictures and then they were video and then they were animations and then they were 3D animations with everyone trying to up one another, you know, trying to show who could be the, 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 the best. It, it was like the artwork that went into these crack screens, is, is kind of what they're called, or crack intros, which was. Was the thing. These were the signatures of the software crackers, the crack screens, the crack intros. And they were there to let you know who removed the copy protection on, you know, whatever software that you were trying to remove the copy protection on. So I grew out of that like piracy deal, but the intros were always a thing I used to trip on online, like as the as the internet evolved, you know, they were kind of things that people were putting on their Geo Cities websites. I'm gonna this is gonna be a big blast of the past for like some people, you know, where people could just download these videos and these gaudy tunes. And they were things that you wouldn't hear anything. Like chip tunes in the beginning of all things were the coolest thing ever. Because I mean who who ever heard of a computer doing chip tune music? Like that was a, that was a thing. So you had all these software crackers that were putting together these these increasingly impressive animated effects along with the music and. Eventually, it became an art style that wasn't attached to unlicensed software, and these animations became known in the digital culture as demos. Now, also as early as the mid '80s, there were audio directors and there were composers and producers that were also putting together like demo music collections on their computer, and somewhat add homemade calligraphics in part. But these concepts kind of all came together to create what is known as the demo scene. Now, the demo scene is mostly a European phenomenon. It is a competitive subculture in which groups or individuals you know the people that were once creating these screens they would all come together and compete against one another for like technical and artistic excellence you know they would typically work together in small groups these were called demo groups a demo group would typically have a coder which is like a pro which is the programmer there would be a musician uh the artist who was called a graphician and then there's someone called the swapper who would like be the guy who would swap their music with others and take music from others. And so these would be like a demo scene or, I mean, these would be a demo group in the demo scene and they would get together and participate in these weekend long events called demo parties. And in demo parties, all these demo sceners would gather together in their demo groups and they would take part in competitions, which were called compos. And in each compo, each compo had a theme. There'd be like fast, fast music, intro, as things got more, more extravagant, there could be like a 1K intro where the intro couldn't be more than 1K in memory, 64K intro. There were all these different categories where people would compete in the category to present their art to the world. You t- typically bring your own computer. To compete and show off your art, so demo parties were held in these large halls with tables. They looked like a land party to you and me, Rob. L- land party with like um, one. I think one of the bigger in the mid nineties, there were five thousand plus people at one of these demo parties. God damn! They, they, they at one point had to rent like one of the largest rinks, like sporting venues in Finland, which we're gonna talk about in a second to to do one of these giant demo parties and it literally it's just it's a whole i mean it's just tables of computers the difference is is like a lot of these demo scenes at least when the demo scene was a thing i mean there's hybrids of it now we'll talk about that but the original demo scene was more about the art and so and socializing. So people would spend more time, you know, showing off things to one another, talking about art, talking about music than they would sitting in front of a computer and playing video games, which is what a LAN party is, you know? So. You had these demo parties and these demo scenes and in parts of Europe, it is so prominent. The demo scene is such a thing that it is recognized as a core part of a country's heritage. So, for instance, in 2020, Finland added the demo scene to UNESCO's list of intangible cultural heritage for the country. And that was the first time any digital subculture was put on an intangible cultural cultural heritage list. So, I know someone out there is probably going, what the hell is an intangible cultural heritage? So, I'm going to read you the definition Directly from UNESCO, Wikipedia, you can find all these places. So, an intangible cultural heritage is a practice, representation, expression, knowledge, or skill considered by UNESCO to be a part of the place's cultural heritage. It is things like non physical intellectual wealth, like folklore, customs, beliefs, traditions, knowledge, or language. So, basically, the demo scene is so much part of Finnish culture that that they petitioned like the organization that 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 protects culture throughout the world and said this is a core part of who we are. So, it's definitely it's definitely a thing like cuz it's not a, let's be honest this is not a thing for the United States, right? We've never I've never heard of a demo scene in the United States. Have you?
1: I mean, it kind of reminds me of other things, but no, not this explicitly. Yeah.
0: So, In 2021, Germany and Poland added it to their list of intangibles, and the Netherlands added it to their list of intangible culture in 2023. So, for parts of Europe, the demo scene is is considered a pivotal part of, of the culture of upcoming generations. So, the largest demo scene party, one of the largest, if not the largest, I'm pretty sure it's the largest, takes place about once or twice a year in Finland. It's called the Assembly. There is two versions. There's an Assembly Winter, which is more like a LAN party. It's kind of more video game oriented. But then there's Assembly Summer. And when they hold Assembly Summer, it is the demo scene concept. There are digital art. There's music. People bring their computers, show off. They do the compos in the different categories. So Assembly Summer is kind of the thing. They first held it in July of 1992. It has been held every year for the last 31 years. The last time they held it was in August. I should know this. I just updated the Wikipedia because no one had done it yet. Uh, August 3rd through August 6th, 2023. They held the last summer assembly. And, And yeah, I mean, they've done it for 31 years straight. In 2020, they did hold it online because we were all, you know, locked down because of a pandemic. But they kept the tradition going and... And, and for 31 straight years. It's, so it's also the longest, one of the longest running demo scene parties in the entire world. Little fun side note, Rob, something probably a little more interesting. Uh, every year in a nearby forest, like a forest adjacent to where they hold the assembly. Cause they hold it in kind of the same places. There is something called the booze. assembly.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: so you can't have any intoxicants, no drugs or alcohol in the assembly proper. So the booze assembly is held in a nearby forest. It's basically the assembly tailgate party.
1: Nice, <laughs> that's awesome.
0: So wow. yeah, so in the summer assembly, you know, this one they have like demo, one k intro, four k intro, dance music, fast music. There's a short film category. There's a photo category, just to kind of name a few. They have all these all these different competitions. And yeah, I mean they they hold this once or twice a year. It's one. It, it is. Like I said, one of the longest-running demo parties in the world. We've kind of discussed it before, actually. The Finnish gaming developer, Remedy Entertainment, which is definitely everywhere right now. They're the creator of the, first of all, the Max Payne series, which we talked about way back in episode 47, a long time ago in hindsight. Right now, they're super popular because they just released Alan Wake 2, which is doing incredibly well. It was a lot of talk. A lot of people were talking about it as game of the year for this year. It was beat out by Baldur's Gate 3, in case you were wondering, by most publications. Gotcha. So so Remedy Entertainment, Max Payne, Alan Wake, they were founded by a really well-known demo group called Future Crew. Like, they're one of the OG demo scene groups. They are still around. In fact, in 2022... They won at least one category, and some of the employees at Remedy Entertainment are still actually active in the in the demo scene. So it's it's kind of a thing. So we've talked about it before. There, people go to the demo scene. People go to the assembly. In two thousand three, three students from the Helsinki University of Technology, Nicholas Hid, Jarnel vakavanian and Kim Dihert all I probably butchered all those names it's different from the way I normally butcher names but that was great right that's great uh,
1: fantastic Dave. Fan,
0: yeah I love it love it they all participated in a mobile game development competition at the assembly I think it was sponsored by HP and Nokia that year and they won they won the competition in 2003 they developed a mobile game that was called King of the cabbage world sounds good huh I mean, you can never judge a game by its name. True statement. And because of their success, they decided that they were going to start a mobile game company called Relude. Now they managed to sell King of the Cabbage World off to another company, uh, it, you know, another mobile game distributor. That company renamed it Mole War. And Mole War was released as one of the first commercial real-time multiplayer mobile games. I don't remember Mole War. Do you remember Mole War? I do not whatsoever, but it's a lot cooler of a name. It is. I don't know. King of the Cabbage World sounds fun to
1: me. I think Mole War sounds better.
0: In January of 2005, ReLude received a round of angel investments and decided to change its name to Rovio Mobile. In case you were wondering, Rovio translates from Finnish as "pyre," as, is fi- as in funeral pyre, like a burning pyre of wood. So that's kind of cool. That's what Rovio means as pyre. I didn't know that. Did you know that?
1: Uh, well, I don't speak Finnish, but uh, is is this
0: a prelude to what is to come? <laughs> no, that'd be funny, wouldn't it? That'd be that'd be great. They they did okay for themselves. We'll talk about that. Between two thousand three and two thousand nine, Rovio developed fifty one games. Some were work for hire projects. Some were publishing contracts. Some were their own independently released titles. In the midst of these fifty one games, there are some gems that you may have heard of, like Bounce Bong Voyage. Stop okay. me if stop me if you like any of these. That Dark, that one's great. Darkest Fear. Yep. Gem Drop Deluxe.
1: Eh, the original was better.
0: Paper Planes. I prefer the plastics. Shopping Madness.
1: That's just any day with a woman.
0: Star Marine.
1: That, that's basically Halo.
0: U.S. Marine Corps Scout Sniper.
1: That's Halo before space. <laughs>
0: and Wolf Moon.
1: And that's just space without Halo.
0: Yeah, very true. They also did the Java version of Need for Speed Carbon.
1: Okay, that's dope. <laughs> so, I you like know, that one.
0: You know, Rovio was publishing these real top tier mobile games for six years. Uh,
1: yeah, just great ones, man.
0: I mean, I the only one of those I think I know was Paper Planes.
1: I did not know a single one myself.
0: They did a few other ports that you'd probably know. I just took some of the more ridiculous generic. I mean, well, I would, I would never give a second thought to U.S. Marine Corps Scout Sniper.
1: No, I wouldn't.
0: I mean, like, I would look right past that and go, this is the most bland, generic game on the face of the Earth. So. But, I mean, we all play a game called Candy Crush now, so what the hell do I know? Very true, Dave. Very, very true. For the longest time, These projects were keeping the door to the studios open, but really just barely, you know, they were just enough to keep everyone employed. You know, they spent all this time making these games, taking these contracts, really hoping, like most studios, to find that one big hit. So obviously their concept was more of a quantity over quality at the time, but they were hoping for quality. Does that make sense? I mean, I mean that's really what they did, right? They were just whipping out game after game after fifty fifty one games in six years is impressive. Let's be honest at least about that. I know they're mobile titles, but still that's fifty one games in six years, and realistically, mole War came out like early two thousand four. It started development in 2003. So let's say five years, because they really didn't get a good start until 2004. So five years, 51 games. That's 10 games a year. That's impressive. Yeah, that's, there's no really denying that, Dave. You know, I mean, that's that's that is determination to keep the doors open, is what that is. They were itching for that next big hit. They were itching for it, and so they, they really wanted their own identity, so they started to take less contracts to free up their own people to work on original IPs. And in this environment, team members could send in their own proposals. In a 2010 interview with Rovio CEO Mikhail Hid, he recalled where Angry Birds came from. We were somewhere in early 2009 and we were going through various proposals for game designs. And one of these was a mock screenshot that had some really angry looking round bird characters with no wings and no legs. And they were trudging along the ground with a cloud of dust trailing behind them. They were heading for a pile of blocks. We didn't really understand very much about what the game mechanics were like there, but everybody in the room really liked the bird characters. (laughs) So as it turns out, The screenshot was drawn by one of their senior game designers, Jacko Isolo. I probably just butchered that name. And And their CEO elaborated by saying, what is very important actually is that the starting point really was the characters, the birds, the pigs, and the backstory. So we put a lot of work into character development. Obviously, we're not like Pixar, but Pixar is a big role model for us. So we really, really try to spend a lot of time looking at the characters and what they do. So, you know the characteristics of the red bird, the blue bird, and so on. So, that's something that's very, very important. If you look at the cinematic trailer that we have in the game, it tells the story about the birds and the pigs and why the birds were angry. And all of that helps people draw themselves into the game. So, going into this meeting, they actually had a very set, strict, like a a strict set of criteria that they were looking for to develop a game around. But they threw it out when the team decided they really liked this characters. Because again, love the characters, don't know what the heck we're going to do with them. So they started working on a concept. As the concept evolved, they knew that they needed opponents. And as it turns out, at the time, the world was in the middle of a swine flu pandemic scare. I mean, there was a swine flu going around, but like it wasn't a, as widespread of a pandemic as everyone thought it was going to be, so we'll call it a pandemic scare. So they took this swine flu and that's where they got the sickly green pigs from. (laughs) Nice. Right. And then they had to figure out the game mechanics. They had characters, but again, they didn't know what kind of game to put together so that they looked towards what was popular for inspiration. Nothing fancy about that. And at the time there were a lot of those flash based physics style games that were super popular, one of the games that typically is seen as like the game that Angry Birds took it from is called Crush the Castle. Do you remember Crush the Castle?
1: I cannot say that I'm familiar with that one, Dave.
0: No. Basically, you just throw things into a castle and it crumbles. I mean, that's 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 it. So. See, I normally did castle defense, not castle offense. Gotcha. 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 So they took what was popular. And they, at least in my opinion, made it better. You know, it plays like Crushed the Castle, but it has a story. It has characters. It has better art. Like. If you go and you look at some of like early articles about Angry Birds, there's a lot of people who criticize it as being a Crushed Castle clone. But let's be honest, there is so much of what we do in the gaming industry that can be considered a quote unquote clone. And it's really unfair to call something that when it takes a concept and just expands on it, uh, I don't know any other way to say it. Like they did what Crush the castle did, but they just made it better in my opinion. So they also knew that they wanted to make a game that took advantage of the iPhone's touchscreens because that was kind of a thing. iPhone's 2003 was uh, when the iPhone come out 2001, if I remember correctly so this was still a new thing. In a 2010 interview with GamePro, the CEO also had this to say about the design. There's this old wisdom, he said. It has to be easy to pick up and play, but hard to master. The easy-to-learn part was really important to us. When you see one screenshot of the game, you know what you have to do. Angry Birds is simple, but it still has depth. It has to be so much fun that players want to return to the game over and over again, and we feel that Angry Birds achieved precisely that. So all in all, the studio spent about $100,000 to develop Angry Birds. They ended up working with a mobile game distributor called Chilingo to put some finishing touches on the game and prepare it for Apple's App Store. They worked on it, they put the pieces together, and it became Rovio's 52nd published title when they soft released it in Finland on December 1st, 2009. Ten days later, it got an official release, which is why we're here today. December 11th, 2009, it was released for iOS and I believe it's called MAMO. It was Nokia. Nokia had their own like uh, app store, basically. Um, they released it for both iOS and Nokia store. And, um, yeah, since then there have been, I don't know, 30 games released in the Angry Verse franchise. Holy shit. Really? Yeah, really. We're going to talk about them in just a moment. But first, but first, are you listening to this podcast and just thinking to yourself, I could do this. I have something interesting to tell the world. I can do way better than this schmuck.
1: Or are you looking to start your own podcast, but you just don't know where to start?
0: If any of these are a yes, ding, 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 consider using the all-in-one podcasting tool suite by Zencaster.
1: With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It allows you to even record up to 4K video with your guests. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection's unstable.
0: With Zencaster, you also never have to worry about what you sound like. Their post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes all those ums and ahs. I leave some of them in, but it removes them if you want. Removes those awkward pauses. Left one of those in earlier in this episode too, so sorry. You can set the podcast loudness. You can reduce the background noise. You can do all of this with a single click of a button.
1: And even if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services, you can relax now because those days are over. With ZenCaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and even distribute it to major destinations.
0: So if you'd like to start your own podcast or you want to do better than me, take your podcast to the next level, perhaps, we've got a deal for you. Go to ZenCaster.com. Forward slash pricing and use our offer code memory card lane, all one word, and you'll get 30% off the first month of any Zencaster paid plan.
1: So sign up for Zencaster today, and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high quality podcast as we do each week. Go out and share your ideas with the world.
0: Share your ideas with the world, indeed, which is what Angry Birds did. But when it first came out, it wasn't an overnight success. At least not across the globe. It was pretty much number one in Finland overnight. I guess in a small country like Finland, when you tell your friends and family to buy it, well, that'll shoot you up to the top. In mid-February, Apple finally featured the game in the App Store. And the rest is history. The original Angry Birds became a huge hit let alone what has happened since then. I found uh, another 2010 interview when this all first came out that noted that people were playing over 1 million hours of Angry Birds daily on the iPhone alone. That's a lot of time spent pooping. That's a lot of time spent pooping indeed. People were really into Angry Birds. Rovio was really into the people. I found another interview that said... A mother of a five-year-old boy sent us some scans, saying that her son had drawn a level for the game, and we actually put the level in the game via an update. Wow, that's awesome. I know, right? Right? In less than one year, by October of 2010, 12 million copies of Angry Birds had been purchased from the Apple and Nokia platforms. This prompted them to start designing versions around other smartphones like Android based phones, for instance. A year in they still hadn't done it for anything but but iOS and Nokia. And this proved complicating. You know, one of the things that they noted and they talked about is as they were writing new versions of this game, they really struggled as a lot of developers did back when, you know, Android, and the th- thing with Android is there's so many Android devices and different configurations that when you go to design something for an Android, like it's hard to get something that works on everything, you know, so they had to settle on a minimum set of requirements that was really unpopular at the time because it left like about 30 types of Android phones unable to run the game, including some like very basic models that were newly released when they'd made this decision so really unpopular decision, but they did it and they continued to make this game, put out all this different devices, uh, devices. It got a Facebook release. And, you know, when Facebook was where people went to play their games, that was a thing at one time. Man, you think about all these fads we have, like people play on their phones, but they don't really play on their phones the same way either. People used to play on Facebook and they kind of do, but also they don't anymore either. You, you get what I'm saying? Like, think about all these fads that we've seen come and go. It's pretty crazy when you put some time into it. Okay, I'm done with that. All right. So they continue to update the game with new levels. They did it mostly on the game's birthday every year for seven years. They they got birthday updates till about 2017. And then, kind of, you know, when 2018 was rolling around, update, they kind of said, hey, we're not doing this anymore. Because, you know, by the time they had moved on to other things, you know, there, like I said, there are actually 29 games released in the series. There are different variations of Angry Birds. The second one was called Angry Birds Seasons, there's one called Angry Birds Friends, Angry Birds Space which you can actually play at the Space Center in Houston and on the Space Coast in Florida. They have an Angry Birds-like themed section. Actually, I've been to the Infinity Space Center here in Mississippi, and it has the Angry Birds space display too. So There are two Angry Birds Star Wars, one for the original trilogy and one for, I think, the Skywalker trilogy. Don't quote me on the second one, but I know there's an old and a new Angry Birds Star Wars. There's Angry Birds Transformers. They actually did produce a sequel called Angry Birds 2. And then, if you're not an Angry Birds fan, you're going to be very surprised to find out that there are lots of games... Let me ask you this before I move on to that. Rob, did you play Angry Birds when it was a thing? I definitely did, yes. Okay, alright. So i take it you enjoyed it or was it just a eh, thing for you
1: it was a fun game i played a bit of it it was kind of a competitive thing i feel for a lot of us because it was in high school a lot of us in auto when we would get done with a test or something would do it so like it was kind of just like hey who can get the farthest with the most stars And then after that, it was kind of just like, you know, I make the joke to play games and you're booping. but like, come on, that's the perfect pooping game. So it was fun at first. And the more you did it, the more it just to me became extremely repetitive.
0: I agree. That's one thing I remember too, is that I had a bunch of friends. I remember this is when I worked at Best Buy and, um, And I had people that were always like, hey, I'm at level this, and I got three stars on all of them. Like, okay, cool, neat. You know? Yeah, that's how it started. So, yeah, so Angry Birds was a thing. It was what, 99 cents? That's probably part of what made it so popular. I mean not bad when one year in they sold 12 million copies on the iOS and Nokia store <laughs> at 99 cents. it's not a bad that's not a bad haul right there.
1: Not even a little bit.
0: There are games now, as I was saying that are not that same Angry Birds formula. They're, they have a game in the series called Bad Pickies where you have to build vehicles to bring pigs to destinations. There is a racing game called Angry Birds Go. There's a match three game. There's more than one match three game. They're called Angry Birds Fight and Angry Birds Blast. And I'm sure there's uh, I'm sure there's more. There's a turn based role playing game. Oh, called Angry Birds Evolution. Sounds like it should be like a Pokemon clone. I don't know if it is. I didn't look that too far into it. They made a VR version of the original game. It's called Angry Birds VR-AR because it's got... It's got AR elements to it. Call an Isle of Pigs, so it's called the Isle of Pigs. This would probably be fun in VR, don't you think?
1: It would be interesting. I guess... How does it look? Are you seeing it from the point of view at the side... Or, or is it like you're just kind of watching still from far away controlling it? Because I think it'd be cool to be like pulling back the slingshot, watching it shoot from that point of view. But like, if you're just watching it from the same point of view, it'd kind of be meh.
0: Let's look it up. Let me look real quick. I'm going to mute mute. It is first person. So you're grabbing onto the slingshot and aiming And watching your birds fly from afar, basically, from the slingshot. So it's kind of, at least for me, what what I would hope. Does that make sense? That does
1: sound pretty cool. Yeah. Based on that, I think it would be fun.
0: And the viewpoint changes because sometimes, like, you're coming at it from the side. Sometimes you're coming at it from the front. It looks like the platform, like, the approach you come from, because it's in 3D. Obviously, it's in VR approach you come from, you know, diff- differs. So the viewpoints kind of differ sometimes. Here's a platform that's like up, like you're on a cliff above the structure you're trying to knock down. So you're kind of up and looking down at what you're trying to slingshot. So there's some cool stuff in there. So it's 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 what I had hoped it would be, personally. So agreed. There's a version of the game on the Roblox platform called Angry Birds Bird Island. It is an open world. It has tasks for you to do. There are drivable cars. There's houses you can have. There's the ability to raise hatchlings. It's basically like a little Angry Birds MMO set on in in Roblox. Didn't even know that was a thing, because I am old, and Roblox is <laughs> not a thing for me. I didn't know that was a thing. Did you know that they put things on Roblox? Yes. Okay. Cool. I don't
1: play Roblox, but uh, some of the content creators that I watch on YouTube have definitely gone on there and trolled.
0: Gotcha. Um,
1: there's, there's some crazy crap on there, man. <laughs> I it's, bet. Yeah.
0: And Rovio is still making games in the Angry Birds universe. They are... I looked at planned games, games in development. There is a movie-themed multiplayer reality game show called Angry Birds Double Crossed. There's a, actually a game called Angry Birds Racing. There's a miniature golf game called Angry Birds Crazy Golf. There's a fighting game called Angry Verse Brawl. And then there's Bad Pickies 2. So they are, they are continuing to work in this franchise. Just to give you an idea of how popular this is. In 2019, as the game celebrated its 10th anniversary, games in the series across the entire Angry Birds series had been downloaded 4.5 billion, with a B, times in the App Store. 4.5 billion downloads across, I mean, by then there was probably 20, let's say 27, 26 games. so. So a lot of people are familiar with Angry Birds. That's a whole lot of downloads. So it really comes as no surprise that Angry Birds is now like this whole entertainment franchise, right? In, I think it was a year after it came out, 2010, Rovio ended up purchasing an animation studio to help produce Angry Bird animations. They first debuted an animation in December of 2011. It was called uh, Wreck the Halls. It was a Christmas short. They followed that up with a TV series in 2013 based on the game. It was called Angry Birds Tunes. That lasted for three seasons and including tunes There have now been eleven animated series, uh, with one more on the way. There's like a spooky castle one that the Amazon Prime is producing. The studio has also helped create two major motion animated pictures. There's the Angry Birds movie and the Angry Birds movie two, which were produced in conjunction, I think, with Sony, Columbia Pictures. So that's a deal now. Together those two ga- those two movies have earned over 500 million dollars at the box office. What? Yeah, together globally 500 million dollars. So I mean, it's it's crazy, right? Cuz like I I don't I've never played an Angry Birds game since the first one, at least on my own personal device. I played Angry Birds Space at the Space Center, to be fair. But, like, since then, Angry Birds has not been a thing for me. How about you? I tried
1: re-downloading two not too long ago when I was looking for some new games to play.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It did not last very long.
0: Okay. But, I mean, in, in general, Angry Birds, and it might be that it's geared towards kids. I mean, in the beginning, it was a novelty because it was new. Let's be honest, when it came out in 2009, like that was early on in the app store, early on in the video game mobile ecosystem. We didn't have a lot of alternatives, right? That's fair. But now, like, we don't have to play. We don't even have to play mobile. That's the fun of it, right? We don't even have to play mobile specific games on our phone. Like me, I stream my games off my computer or console to my phone and can play it on my phone. Like a touchscreen game can be played very easily on my phone. So I don't, I mean, like, I don't have to, I don't have to do mobile specific games anymore. So times have changed. So for me, Angry Birds is kind of not my thing. But for younger generations, obviously, two movies that made $500 million. Angry Birds is still a big thing, I guess.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree to, to that.
0: And no doubt, when a franchise gets this big, there are tons of merchandising opportunities. You know, there are Angry Bird plushies, there are Angry Bird T-shirts. There's a board game that exists for your purchasing pleasure. In the beginning of all things, I don't know if there's still a thing, but I saw Angry Bird soft drinks somewhere out there in the world okay there's an angry birds cookbook it's called bad piggies egg recipes you know what the funny part is what i i i of course went down this rabbit hole right because that's what i do every time i research a topic uh and like i played angry birds but i didn't pay that much attention to the story and the whole draw of it is that king ping wants the eggs but the joke is that he can't eat them or he's never eaten an egg before that's the, that's the thing. He's never eaten an egg before, but he wants them all for himself. But he doesn't eat them. So,
1: Interesting.
0: So Bad Piggies Egg Recipes. National Geographic actually published a book called Angry Birds Feathered Fun. It's a book about real feathered birds. <laughs> wow. So, there are Angry Bird comic books, more than one. There are Angry Bird activity books, you know, like coloring books and, and so on and so forth there are angry bird themed activity parks where you can play like angry birds on touch screens, and they have angry bird themed playgrounds. Actually when angry birds first came out, I read the story about there was a, there was a theme park in China, you know, cause China is great about copyright where someone created a angry birds theme. Like you could go there and like use a, a real slingshot, a giant slingshot to launch giant angry bird plushies at, i don't know giant jenga deals or whatever so someone actually made a real life angry birds in a theme park in china one of those like unlicensed ones nice they got they got shut down oh shocking Um, i know there's an indoor angry bird theme park at a huge mall in qatar which is like dude that got me down a rabbit hole about largest malls in the world The Mall of America, just for the record, is only like the seventh or eighth largest mall in the whole world. It's like 6.5 million square feet of space. And the biggest one is like 20 some million feet of space. Somewhere in New Jersey, there's a giant entertainment complex called the American Dream Meadowlands, which is. Just it's got a bunch of like a universal theme park and like it, water park or stuff like that. I probably just butchered that. Make a long story short, it has an eight. It has two 18 whole miniature golf courses, and one of them is specifically themed to Angry Birds. So. Yeah, Angry Birds is Angry Birds is a thing. It's it's a big thing. And it's not at the same time. Some of those activity parks closed down, you know, open and closed down. But if you want to go to a giant mall, Qatar has a Qatar Qatar. I don't know. As for Rovio, I'm not saying that there's not any games that are Angry Birds in their development pro for portfolio, but that there's barely any games that aren't Angry Birds. In 2012, they made a game that was pretty much like Incredible Machines. I've talked about Incredible Machines before. It's a fantastic like Rube Goldberg machine type game. Their version was called Amazing Alex. They made a life simulation game that was based off the movie The Crudes in 2013. They made a Flappy Birds type game in 2014 called Retry. Kind of sounds like they just take what everyone else does and make a game like it. But that's okay. If it works, it works. In 2015, there was a tile matching game called Love Rocks starring Shakira. Yep. Starring Shakira. Wow. They made a halfway decent multiplayer mobile shooter called Battle Bay in 2017. I, mean, I think I played Battle Bay. Um, Sugar Blast came out in 2019. Small Town Murders, which is, I think is like one of those matching games. I've played Small Town Murders in 2020. Maybe I haven't. That sounds like every generic game on the store, really. So they're they're really going strong. They were in the news recently, about four months ago. In August of 2023, Rovio was actually bought out by Sega for $776 million. Wow. So Angry Bird games are now technically made by Sega, in a manner of speaking. Fun, huh?
1: That, that's an interesting thing. I would never have guessed that.
0: Right? Right? I was like, oh man, Sega Sammy, it's called, the company's called Sega Sammy Holdings is what the company is now. They, they're doing things, man. They're doing things. You know, that is Sega and the Sammy Corporation were both involved in the amusement industry. Sega was, you know, arcade. We know what Sega is. Sammy was Pachinko Machines. So they kind of came together to make this conglomerate and they're like, buying stuff up man and last month they acquired a sports betting company so my guess is that they're gonna go into like that version like pachinko's gambling right so they're gonna go into like that they're gonna go into like that with that part of the business so they own they own like i don't know they own a ton of stuff they they own a They sponsor teams, and they own stuff, and uh, I don't know. Sega, we've talked a little bit about that before, right? Because they own Creative Assembly. Creative Assembly is the company that makes the Total War series. We talked about that. They own Relic, which does the Company of Heroes and Dawn of War series. We've talked about that. They own Two Point Studios, which is like Two Point Hospital. What else do they own? Amplitude, which is Dungeon of the Endless. Atlas, which makes role-playing games. They own a bunch of stuff. So, in case you want to know, Sega is still a big deal. Just not the way we think of it as a big deal anymore, you know?
1: No, definitely not. It's not something you hear about as much. Right. Right, 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 right.
0: So, yeah. That's... Rovio and Rovio is still going strong and Angry Birds. There will be more Angry Birds content on the way if that's your thing. So if that's your thing. I don't know if it's my thing. Who knows? I might. I download a lot of weird mobile games. I might get bored one day and try to redownload Angry Birds too, like you. Who knows?
1: Yeah. You know, it's just one of those things. Phone games are nice things to do and you're out waiting for an appointment or, you know, browsing the store with someone who takes forever or just anytime you got some downtime and don't want to be on your computer or can't be on your computer.
0: Right, 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 right. So that's it from the demo scene to the angry birds and beyond. Crazy.
1: Huh? A, uh, yeah. Th- I was going to say quite a uh, different start than I would have expected.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Well, I mean, the same thing can be said for Max Payne. You know, Max Payne started from the demo scene, too. Those are two companies that you wouldn't expect where they got their start from. But, you know, giant land parties are demo scene parties. Sorry, demo sceners. I know you're going to hate that I said that. So you should go back. That was a long time ago. You know, if you want to go check out Max Payne, that was kind of early on when we were doing this. That was episode 47. Of course, you could do so by going to our website, which is www.memorycardland.com. Also on our website, you can do a lot of other things like
1: Rob. You can find a calendar of our upcoming episodes, talk about some of the stuff that you may know, some fun little facts about different little games or topics that we're going to mention. You can find links to our Discord where you can come hang out with Dave and I, talk some games, talk whatever the hell else you want because, you know, we're just there to have some fun. You can find links to things such as our Patreon, where you can help support us, get access to ad-free and unedited episodes. And you can also find links to things such as our social media. I can be found on several platforms as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave.
0: I can be found in various places as David is wrong. Each week, we tell you the story about one topic relevant to this week in gaming history. This week, we told you the history of Rovio Entertainment and Angry Birds. Each week, when we tell you these stories, we learn things. When we do research, we learn things. And part of the fun is as we learn things, we teach things, we teach things, we learn things. It's a wonderful cycle. And in recognition of the cycle, we like to talk about our great takeaways. Rob, what did you learn today?
1: I learned... The demo scene, like I, you said we talked about it with Max Payne, but I guess it was just so long ago that I forgot all about it.
0: I don't think we talked about it in that kind of detail. I think we just talked about it in the respect that like, hey, there was a demo scene. That's where the people got their start and it became Remedy Entertainment. I don't, I don't think I like laid out what the demo scene was back when.
1: Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. I was going to say that's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, We all know europe is very into like technology and techno and dance and like all of that that stuff like it's very artistic over there comparatively to uh here in america so it's it's cool i mean that kind of stuff's always interesting and to just know that they have these effectively giant land parties of art it's just it's it's cool, you know, I mean, that'd be one of those things that if I ever happened to make it over to there, I would love to check out and see what it's like. Might not be something I'm totally into, but something cool to check out, you know, like that's part of their intangible cultural heritage.
0: It is. I went back and I looked at my notes, my my outline for episode 47, and I gave it approximately five lines where I didn't really talk about it at anything. Like, hey, this is a demo. It shows off art. People would make it. One group that did it is called Future Crew. They became Remedy. <laughs> that's really all I was. I didn't talk about it much at all, I guess. So. Okay, gotcha. But we did talk about it. I mean, to be fair.
1: Yeah, we learned a lot more about it. And I mean, like I said, it's just you know it's such a large part of their culture, that's freaking awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. Absolutely.
1: So what about yourself, Dave? What's your big takeaway? What'd you learn?
0: I learned that Rovio made 51 games before making Angry Birds, which to me, I didn't know. And kind of blows my mind that they were making games. I mean, I get it in hindsight, but it it blows my mind that they were making games at that like that frequency. Like they were they were that type of company until Angry Birds came out, right? Just a game that was making Whatever they could get their hands on just to get a game out, just to have the doors open. Basically, that's kind of the way I perceive it. So,
1: no, I agree. And it is crazy to think that because I would never have guessed that as well.
0: Right. So that's that's what I learned. Great. Fantastic. Well, before I wrap it up and look at next week, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's discussion?
1: As always, David, you want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening. It means the world to us, and we really hope that even though some episodes can be a little crazy and hectic and you don't know where the hell they're going to go, that you enjoy listening to them. So thank you.
0: Yay, thank you. Awesome. Next week, we're going to take a look at the debut of the best-selling franchise under the PlayStation brand. What do you think the best-selling franchise is? You, well, you know what episode we're doing next week. That's not a fair question. Originally created, originally creating a tune racing game with a realistic gameplay experience, that team took what they had learned and they spent the next five years creating one of the best racing games of all time, which we're going to talk about. So join us again next week as we take a look at Gran Turismo, as we drive and we drive and we hug all the turns on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing
1: do doo, doo m da m doo doo, doo doo,